Can you imagine Dr. John Whitcomb, one of the founders of the modern biblical creation movement, ever being an evolutionist? Well, he was at one time, many years ago, an unconverted evolutionist. But God had a different plan, and our speaker begins to unfold that story today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host, and you're listening to Encounter God's Truth, a Bible teaching radio and internet outreach of Whitcomb Ministries, which proclaims boldly each week that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. We're in the midst of a new series called Basic Biblical Distinctions, and today we begin a four-part look at God's working in the life of our speaker and how it gave him a foundation for a lifetime of study and teaching of creationism and apologetics. As Dr. Whitcomb explains, God worked providentially in his life in marvelous ways to bring him to faith in Christ and prepare him for a life of service. He phrases it in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, when he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In that light, let's now go into the auditorium of Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, to hear part one of Dr. Whitcomb describing the conversion of an evolutionist. And thank you so much, friends, for coming on a cold winter daylight. Aren't you tired of global warming? <laughs> Wait till the Apostle Paul hears of all of our afflictions. <laughs> this morning, in God's mercy, we'll be looking at something that happened to me many years ago at Princeton University, where I was a godless evolutionist in this 1942 and 43, and we're going to see some principles that God has for us on how to help people, even atheists and materialists and evolutionists, to become genuine, born-again Christians, Bible-believing people with this marvelous work of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, I won't believe until I see a miracle. I, people may not actually say that, but they, they think that sometimes, don't they? And God says, uh, I will show you adequate sign miracles to confirm the deity, the claims, the person of my son, Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, an evil, adulterous generation seeks after signs. And no sign will be given to it except what? The sign of Jonah, who for three days and nights was in the belly of the great fish, and Jesus, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he came forth from the dead. And next month, all over the Christian world, we celebrate what? Resurrection Day. Amen. Uh, try not to say Easter. Say Resurrection. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Next month. Of course, not just next month, but shall we say it? Every hour of every day of every month, the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of our relationship to God. Amen for his wonderful, wonderful provision. So sign miracles is a divine and immediate intervention of God in the physical world to publicly, visibly, openly demonstrate his unique power or to authenticate his unique messengers in the world, especially, as we've just said, his own beloved son. Now, friends, we're going to take a look here at the providence of God, which is very different from miracles. 
And we underestimate providence many times. We say, I want sign miracles. And there are millions of people in this world today who are signs and wonders people, Christians. They say, unless you can perform a miracle or see one happening, you can't expect people to believe the Bible. But providence is an amazing work of God every hour of every day we live. Every hour of every day. It's the indirect immediate employment by God of natural laws and events and people to accomplish his will. And I say, Lord, help me to understand that you're in charge of everything. Even the apparently bad things are working together for good to them that love the Lord. What's that verse? Romans 8.28. All things, good and bad, work and work how? Together. Together for what? For good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Now, Here's how your guest speaker came to know the Lord. At a godless university, so sad, Princeton was established by Christians to train people to serve and function as teachers of the Bible. Did you know that? One of our earliest presidents at Princeton University was Jonathan Edwards, a godly evangelist. How many have ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Yes. Well, he's buried near the campus. And I went out to the cemetery to see his tomb, and I leaned over and heard him turning over. He wouldn't, back 111 years ago, in 1900 A.D., Princeton University totally, officially abandoned Christianity. Just like Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Cornell, all the other, totally abandoned Christianity, officially. That doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. It means there's no textbook, no teaching, no classes, no nothing that really honors the Bible anymore. And I say, Lord, help me out. Well, friends, an evolutionist, and I was one, at great expense, my mother and dad, I was the only child. They sent me off to Princeton because I wasn't qualified physically to go to West Point like my father. I had poor vision. Still do. I have intraocular lens implants now. Praise God, I can see some of you. But you had to be 20-20 vision to go to West Point in those days. So they thought, well, second best for our son is surely Princeton University where they have a school of public and international affairs to train diplomats and ambassadors for the State Department. Maybe our son can serve our government that way someday. My father, by the way, was a great military leader in the Second World War. Our next-door neighbor at Fort Benning, Georgia, was General George Patton, under whom he served as a chief of staff in the Third Army in the Second War. So he was disappointed that I couldn't have a military career like he did. But uh, one week after I arrived at Princeton University, on the top floor of a miserable dormitory for freshmen, guess who knocked on my door? a dignified sophomore who introduced himself as one who had been to the same military prep school I went to, Macaulay School, Chattanooga, Tennessee. He graduated a year earlier. He said, uh, John, I just want to invite you to a Bible class we're having here on the campus center at Murray Dodge Hall on Sunday afternoon, and you'll be very, very impressed with the teaching you're going to hear there. Well, friends, that was the last thing I was at Princeton to study. I had no interest whatever in the Bible. In my home, I never heard of God, Christ, sin, salvation, anywhere ever in our home. So I put him off. But then he retreated and did a dangerous thing to me. He prayed for me. You remember the seven things that can happen? The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He came back again. No. No. Finally, I surrendered. 
I guess to get him off my back or something. And I went to hear the finest Bible teaching I'd ever heard in my life. Donald Fullerton, a graduate of Princeton in 1913, went to India and Afghanistan as a missionary. Came back in 1931 in broken health. Asked the university for permission to teach the Bible at Murray Dodge Hall Student Center on Sunday afternoons. In a weak moment, an administrator said yes. He grabbed that one and held on for 50 years from 31 to 81 and led hundreds and hundreds of students to Christ, some of whom are still missionaries around the world. One of the greatest campus evangelists America has ever seen, Donald B. Fullerton. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you for what he did to me. After several times attending the class, he sort of thought maybe I might be willing to have him come to my dorm room for a little personal encounter. And you know what he did not do? Thank God for this. He didn't try to refute evolution. He didn't try to prove Genesis. He told me about Jesus, the Savior of the world, and what he did on the cross and his resurrection and how I can receive that gift of eternal life. And that night in that room, I believed and was saved, born again forever. All things passed away. All things became new. Friends, everything I saw the next morning I went out of that dormitory was different. The sun that shined, the blue sky, the clouds, the trees, the flowers, the squirrels, the people, everything now looked like it had been designed and created by somebody. I was now teachable. That's the miracle of new birth, regenerate. My mind was changed forever. I was teachable. Thank you, God. I want to learn your book. I want to master this book. I want to live to tell everybody about your book. That was 1943, February. Now, praise God for what he did through Donald Fullerton to reach me. Now, friends, evolutionists, I discovered, have a serious problem. It takes tremendous faith to be an evolutionist. Guess what? Nothing is evolving anywhere ever. It can't. It's doing the opposite. It's collapsing, deteriorating, disintegrating, pollution, mutations, extinctions, the second law of thermodynamics, everything is going down to destruction. But uh, here's just a little example. Uh, what in the world is this thing right here? It's called a what? Giraffe. You, you've got to go and see a giraffe someday. Look at that nine-foot-long neck on top of a nine-foot-high body. Evolutionists are staggered by this. How could any animal have evolved a neck nine feet long? They say, well, maybe there was droughts in Africa and they, only the ones that could reach higher to the trees could survive. But how about baby giraffes? How about hippopotamuses? I mean, this is silly. And evolutionists have no idea at all how a giraffe could have evolved. Uh, I mean, when you, keep, when you keep looking at this thing, all of a sudden a giraffe has to put his head down to drink water. 18 feet down, that brain goes. Wouldn't you think the blood in the neck would knock his brain out? I mean, but no. No, no. Guess what we've discovered inside of the neck of that giraffe, folks? Now watch. A complex series of reverse valves all the way down here. So when he puts his head down, the valves block the flow of blood. And there's a spongy thing at the top right here that collects whatever blood remains. 
so he can put his head down, drink water, lift his head up, gallop away and smile at us. Evolutionists, I was taught, believe that for millions of years, giraffes were evolving all these valves. And finally, after millions of years, they worked. In the meantime, the giraffe has become extinct. Do you know what an evolutionist hopes you won't ask? Tell us about giraffes. You've got it. <laughs> You've got it, folks. <laughs> well, here's the problem with an evolutionist. Here it is. It's very serious. It's very sad. He's locked into something based on what? You probably can't see this. Let me read it to you. Preconceived ideas about origins, a bias toward evolution. And he has three choices as an evolutionist. He can be an atheistic one, a deistic one, or a theistic one. Now, what, what's an atheistic evolutionist? It believes that everything began and happened totally by chance. At the beginning, there's nothing. Then there's something. And add millions of years in chance, and here we all are. Now, that is so silly that very few people are atheistic evolutionists. In major universities like Richard Dawkins at Oxford and some other few people, very few take that position. Much more popular is to be a, what, a deistic evolutionist. You say, what in the world is a deist? He's one who believes in the beginning there was some kind of a god back there who launched the whole program, but we've never heard of him since or have seen him since. He just created everything that solves that problem. They had to have a God to create everything. But he's, he's not interested in us. He never talked to us. He's never come to see us. He, uh, he's gone. But here we are. Far more popular and dangerous is this one. Theistic evolutionism. For example, one billion Roman Catholics are theistic evolutionists officially. And many liberal Protestants, Anglicans, liberal Protestants, and so forth. You say, now, Dr. Whitman, what's a theistic evolutionist? It's a person who believes that a personal living God not only created the universe, but has watched over it and maintained it and directed evolutionism for millions of years. Well, there's one good thing you can say for theistic evolutionism. Without a constant, divine, supernatural intervention, nothing could ever have evolved ever. Right but is totally opposed to everything the Bible says about how the world began. And I say, Lord, help me, help me to be patient, loving, concerned about people who are locked into influence, poisoned by evolutionism in one form or another. Now, here's what Jesus said about these people. Are you ready? Jesus said in Matthew 15, Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Oh, Evil thoughts don't come from what you see. No, it's what you want to see. The heart. You remember Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You impose upon God's beautiful world theories, ideas, speculations that are completely unbiblical. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Are you saying, Dr. Wickham, that my, my science teacher in high school was evil who taught me evolution? Now, wait a minute. Let's be clear about this. The Bible says evil is anything that contradicts anything God has ever said in the only book he's ever written. If we contradict what he says about his son, Jesus, about how the world began, 
how it's operating today, how people are saved, how the world will end, that's evil. And I say, really? You mean the Bible is that important to God? <laughs> it's his word, friends. It's his word. He says, don't you distort, compromise, reinterpret my word. See, don't do that. Don't do that. And I say, well, now, how do you help people in their evolutionists? That's what we're here for this hour. How do you help people? Because millions and millions and millions and millions of people who, listen, who claim to be Christians in America, Roman Catholics, liberal Protestants, cultists, etc., tens and scores of millions of people who think they're Christians are not. That's one of the deadliest things that Satan has ever done. Atheism is not that popular. But to say, well, I believe the Bible, but I just interpret it differently, is deadly. Okay? That's why you have a church like this today that stands for the true Bible, God's infallible word. Praise the Lord. Okay? So how do you help these people? Now, now watch. Here we go. You have to do something to get their preconceived ideas and their bias changed. That's a miracle that only the Holy Spirit can... Here's, Jesus said, don't try it. You can't change anybody's heart. It's impossible. So what do you do? You trust the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, I will send my spirit among you, and he, not you, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will illuminate people. He will convict people. He will change hearts. He can, he's the only one who can do that. So you have to pray for them, you see. You have to lovingly, patiently tell them about Jesus, the Savior of the world. And trust that the Spirit of God will take the gospel message, the true message of the gospel, and change their lives, their minds, their hearts forever. Well, that's what happened to me that night at Princeton. I'll say it again, I'll never recover from that one. See? Because God changed my bias. And all of a sudden, everything looked like it had been created by somebody. Right there. Now, you see, I'm looking at the same giraffe, by the way. Now I see the giraffe differently. He was designed and created by, wait till you hear this one. Giraffes were created full-grown with nine-foot-long necks like that. He didn't create baby giraffes, full-grown ones. He didn't create baby people, full-grown ones. You say, that's a miracle. Oh, yes. That's putting it mildly. That's how Jesus created the world. Guess what? I have lost no sleep ever again about giraffes. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, the theory of evolution, folks, that's it. Can it explain what, what has been observed? Can it predict what has not yet been observed? Can it be tested by further examination and modified as required by the acquisition of new data? Can it be subjected to a test of false? The theory of evolution on all counts is a complete colossal failure. If I were an evolutionist, I would surrender unconditionally immediately and look for a good Bible preaching church. It is a total disaster. And 45 million of our children in America are being taught evolution Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in every textbook that teaches how the world began. Not one exception in America, in a public school. Which means, friends, that wherever you send your children to school, public school, Christian school, whatever, you must primarily, ultimately, train them at home in the word of God. All Christian parents must be homeschoolers. 
to some extent or other. Right. Thank you, God. Thank you. Now, how do we help people then? Here, the Apostle Peter, folks, was no great scholar, was he? Was he a scientist? No. Philosopher? No. He was just a what? A fisherman. He knew nothing about all these things. But one thing he did know from meeting Jesus is that if you're going to help somebody that attacks you and ridicules you and opposes you, uh, start off with two things. One, don't fear. Two, don't be troubled. You, you don't have to answer every obs- observation he has, every question he has, every objection he has. You don't have to know all these things. You don't have to be a scientist, philosopher. He's got a deeper problem. And here's how you can help him. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I can't handle this man. I can't change his thinking. I'm not smarter than he is. And even if I were, it wouldn't help. Help me to do the right thing if I love him enough. Maybe my father, my mother, my brother, sister, neighbors, friends that need the Lord, people I work with. Help me to do the right thing, the right way for your glory. And I know that you will guarantee that if anything happens, it'll be because it's done the right way. The right way. Now, you say, what's that word sanctify mean anyhow? It means to set something apart for God. Now, Israel had been taught for 1,400 years how to sanctify things. You sanctify certain animals like a lamb, a goat, see, or a bull for a sacrifice. You, you, You sanctify a certain place like the tabernacle or temple to worship God. You sanctify certain people called priests, sons of Aaron, to function in the tabernacle and temple. You sanctify a certain day of the week, a Sabbath, to worship God officially and do things and don't do things. See? But Christians don't have any of those things. See? We don't have a legally enforced Sabbath where if you do certain things, you'll drop dead. No, that's over. We don't have a special priesthood, special animals, special place. That's all over. That's Israel. As we saw last night, by the way, Israel will be honored again in the beginning of the kingdom. But we're not Israelis today. Okay? We're what? Christians. And the only thing we have to sanctify is Christ the Lord. We set him apart. He's above anyone else in the universe that's called human. He's the God man. Honor him. Think of him. Consult with him. Talk to him. Serve him. Honor him. Sanctify Christ as Lord. So, in other words, the way you handle him is going to ultimately determine what happens to the person who attacks you, questions you, ridicules you. Okay, here we go. You ready? Now, you're ready to make your defense. You're, you're, you're not afraid. You're not troubled. You've sanctified Christ. You say, Christ, Lord Jesus, help me now. I want to say the right thing to help this person. Now I'm ready to make a defense. And you know what the Greek word for defense here is? Apologion. To give a word back. To give an answer. How to help people by giving the right answers that they need to bring them into eternal life. But the way you do it, not only what you say, who Christ is, what he did on the cross, his resurrection. See? By the way, fill your pockets with gospel tracts. So that every restaurant, every store you go to, they'll hear about Jesus Maybe the Gospel of John, maybe I saw some beautiful tracks you have here promote, uh, with you, about your own church here, uh, how to find a friendly church. Uh, that's one of the, the whole area would be revolutionized if every member of this church, now hear it careful, if every member of this church 
could hand out prayerfully a gospel tract just one a week. This part of the world would never be the same again. You say, I can do that? Oh, yeah, you can. (laughs) Each one. If you don't think you can, let's talk afterwards. Lord, help me to be a light reflector. I'm no light. I'm a light reflector. I'm sanctifying not me, but Christ. But the way I do it, now watch, not only what I say, but the way I do it. Now watch this. Oh, I have to do it gently. I can't be arrogant and pushy and manipulative. See, I've got to be gentle with people. Oh, I have to be what? Reverend. I have to honor God, not me. I'm not promoting me. Be careful now. I'm not even promoting my church. I'm promoting Christ the Lord. Okay, ready? Here's a big one. Are you ready for this one? Uh Uh-oh, I have to have a good conscience. I have to have a good reputation. If I'm notorious in the community as having been a thief, a robber, or something else, I'm not going to get very far. As we close our program today, we want to thank Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, for allowing us to bring this audio to you here on Encounter God's Truth. To learn more about our program, visit WhitcombMinistries.org. To hear many additional radio programs and messages that explain how God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, visit us at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And make sure to follow us throughout the week at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. Then, please join us again next week as we continue to learn more about the conversion of an evolutionist. It's part of this new series on the subject of apologetics called Basic Biblical Distinctions. Until then, for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Rejoicing in what God has done and trusting that you've been encouraged by this edition of Encounter God's Truth.